Will a market correction happen by summer that forces the Federal Reserve to reverse its tightening policies, then triggering a resumption of the bull market rally all the way into 2024? This highly respected manager of billions of dollars in capital thinks so. I expect another policy U-turn uh, from summer onwards. Uh, so my view is that inflation will fall into their target zone at some point in summer. Um, the economy will slow down and the stock market will correct beyond where they usually stop in. Uh, and, and that's 20% down. And that will force them to change. And that is... Uh, the big change that uh, produces the big rally afterwards into 24. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Adam Taggart, founder of Wealthion, welcoming you back for another week of making sense of money and the markets so that you can make better informed decisions about building your wealth. Well, volatility continues to reign in the markets. After one of the worst Januaries on record, stocks have started rallying sharply, but only after a period of intense chop that bruised and confused both bulls and bears alike. Where is this all headed? Will markets shrug off the growing litany of macro concerns and power higher? Or will 2022 be the year the asset bubble bursts for good? Today's expert, Felix Zuloff, owner and president of Zuloff Asset Management, manages billions in assets, so he doesn't have the luxury of an opinion without conviction. He's got a strong picture of where we are in the current market cycle and is allocating capital accordingly. Felix, thank you very much for joining us today, all the way from Switzerland. That's correct, and the pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Adam. Well, thank you. Um, all right. Well, Felix, I've got a lot of questions for you, but I'd like to just start with a, a general high-level one that I like to ask all of my guest experts, which is, what is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? We have uh, a very distorted uh, global economy uh, due to the pandemic, uh, the policy measures taken due to the pandemic, and we have a lot of uh, these distortions still playing out. Uh, my assessment is that uh, the recovery is on, but the speed of the recovery, the momentum of the world economy is slowing down. I do not see the world economy falling into a recession, but the pronounced slowdown during the course of this year, with the exception of China, that has been in a pronounced slowdown over the last two years and is uh, sort of stabilizing with modest help by fiscal and monetary authorities. But I do not expect China to go back to the vigorous uh, high growth period uh, they have come out of uh, uh, over the last 10 years. Uh, so I think uh, this is the pace of the economy. The biggest problem and challenge is inflation and inflation is really the uh, policy sector here, uh, the inflation has gone higher than the central banks assumed and wished, desired. Uh, I think uh, the White House uh, called up um, the Federal Reserve to do something about uh, the 7% inflation, uh, for sure. The central bank has announced the U-turn. It hasn't proceeded yet. It has just announced it. So the tightening of liquidity that we have seen recently has not been due to the Fed. It has been due to the Treasury because the Treasury has increased 
its uh, general account at the Fed from 40 billion to 740 billion, which means they really took out $700 billion of liquidity out of the credit system. And that was the tightening that uh, triggered the sell-off in the stock market. The Fed itself has not tightened yet. Uh, that tightening will begin by mid-March is my guess, and then proceed. And uh, you know, when a central bank announces a policy change, they usually stick to it and proceed until some of the major variables change. And I think what they want to see is they want to see inflation to decline to, let's say, the 4% level, which will be probably in the second half of this year. At some point, I expect 3 to 4% in the second half. I think they want to see uh, a stock market uh, having corrected. And when they see that, they change. Let's say the stock market declines by more than 20%. Then they get concerned. Uh, or the economy weakens. Then they get concerned. And then they change policy again. I expect another policy U-turn uh, from summer onwards. Uh, so my view is that inflation will fall into their target zone at some point in summer. Um, the economy will slow down and the stock market will correct beyond where they usually stop in, uh, and, and that's 20% down. And that will force them to change. And that is uh, the big change that uh, produces the big rally afterwards into 24. Okay, great. That was definitely a very uh, specifics packed answer there that I think is very uh, useful for the investors watching this channel here. So uh, if I could just recap a little bit, um, sounds like you, you think that the, the big issue here is inflation that's driving current Fed policy. Um, sounds like you think the Fed is going to continue its more hawkish stance until it sees the progress it wants. And, and to put into your words, the progress that it wants to see is inflation coming down to the three to 4% range. And you said the Fed wants a correction, and I'm not doubting that. My guess is they probably want some of the froth coming out of yeah. this market. Um, but you're saying they, they, they don't want it to then you know, tip over yeah. from a 20% correction into something greater than that, especially if the economy is slowing down. And so you expect a policy reversal by the summer, all of which will then likely trigger uh, you know, kind of a game on signal back for investors and you expect a market rally perhaps starting in the second half of the year. Did I capture that correctly? Absolutely. It's going to be a roller coaster in terms of policy setting and the roller coaster in terms of markets. And, uh, and the driving force in financial markets is really the central bank and the largest and most powerful central bank is the Fed. And, uh, and the Fed is driven by uh, the inflation rate. And, and when you look at the inflation rate, you know, the base effect will bring the inflation rate down. Uh, so I think the inflation will peak in February or March, and then the base effect will bring the inflation rate down, that by itself. But we will not have a decline into the 2% or below level because input prices, which is very important, it's about one third of the CPI, 
import prices will not decline a lot. Uh, the Chinese exporters have exported without making profits really for a long, long time because the goal of the Chinese policy setters was full employment and not profits. And the banks have financed all that. And the banks are stretched in, in China like the Japanese banks were in 1990. And uh, the corporate balance sheets are very weak so they have to raise prices. Uh, and, and I think the biggest uh, growth factor for the Chinese economy is going to be exports and they will uh, hike prices and therefore input prices will now come down. Therefore, inflation will remain very sticky uh, on a structural basis. And, and if I'm right with this scenario I just outlined and the Fed makes another U-turn sometimes in summer, then they will trigger the second wave of inflation because they will trigger a big move up in commodity prices and particularly in commodities where the supply is very tight due to capacity constraints or due to uh, weather and climate constraints or what have you. Uh, so I could see that um, oil declines uh, from a level up here around $90 uh, to let's say 50 or 60, and then goes up into 24 to $200. And if you have uh, oil at $200, you will have CPI in 2024 at 10%. And, 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 and in that scenario, you really then force the Fed into a tightening Paul Walker style. And that will then terminate the big bull market we have been in since 2009. Okay, um, again, wonderful specifics here, thank you. So um, I sort of think of the Fed as, as um, you know, the captain of a large oil tanker where you know, they turn the wheel and, and the ship starts to move. Um, and if they reverse direction, you know, they, they tend to overcorrect and then they, they turn the wheel hard the other direction, it takes a while for it to come back again. So it's not a very precise uh, instrument. It, it, it moves with a lot of momentum in, in, in both sides. And it sort of sounds like you're saying, uh, the Fed is, is going into its tightening phase now and the treasury is helping it. And um, it, things may overcorrect a bit. The markets may get shakier than the Fed wants. The economy may slow faster than the Fed wants. And by the way, you know, the not for nothing, the uh, Atlanta Fed is now uh, projecting Q1 GDP at 0.1%. That's down from 6.5 yeah. in Q4. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're already seeing a pretty market slowdown here in the States. Um, so then you think the Fed's going to then, you know, switch back to dovish. Uh, and in your words, you know, ignite the second inflation wave here. And, you know, this first half, we're sort of assuming the Fed's succeeding in letting inflation get down to three to four percent. Who knows that we don't know for sure. But if the Fed then starts easing again, stimulating even, um, and we get this, you know, spark and reignited uh, spark in the markets, but, but more importantly, to your point, we start seeing um, inflation run away again. Uh, you know, uh, golly, I mean, I, I understand why you think that that will kind of give us that last great burst of, of market euphoria going into, I think, all the way to 2024, you've said. Um, but then you think the Fed is going to be forced to do kind of a vocal, vocal sorry, Volcker 
style, style. Um, you know, tightening, tightening um, yeah. you know, a really painful one. Um, so let's talk about that for a moment, because what does that look like? You know, you just said oil could go from, you know, 50 to $200, which, you know, that world is a really tough world to live in because everything gets really expensive uh, and economic activity gets very depressed because energy is become so expensive. Um, so what is, what is, if that, that bull market from 2009, you know, ends in 2024, and if you get a different timeline, let, let me know, um, what does it look like afterwards? You know, we, we, the Fed goes Paul Volcker style. Do we see a massive correction of the markets? Do we see a major economic slowdown or do you see something else? Well, at that time, you have the biggest excesses we have ever seen in our uh, system, in our economic system. Uh, we probably have then very weak balance sheets. We have the highest leverage. We have the highest debt level. And debt, and debt works on both ways. And, and if you uh, try to break inflation at that level, by tightening monetary policy and raising interest rates and bond yields go up, et cetera, you have a recession. And that recession may then be a major crisis. So I would uh, assume it could be a generational crisis. And, uh, and, and then we are talking not about a 20 or 30% market correction. We are talking about 50 to 80% uh, decline in the market. Uh, we will probably then also see a real estate crisis because the real estate market is uh, more overpriced today than it was in 2006 in the US. Uh, when you compare current prices with the rental value or the price based on rents and then capitalized on current interest rates. And when you compare that, uh, the real estate market is overpriced by probably 40% at the present time. So you then have a real estate crisis and, and actually you could have that worldwide. And, uh, and, and the real estate crisis on top of a stock market, the uh, bear market of that magnitude, you have uh, not just economic dislocations and systemic uh, uh, problems, you will also have uh, a social crisis. And, uh, and uh, you know, our society is very split and, uh, and we have social issues uh, like we have never seen before. And this is not just true for the US, it's also true for Canada, for Europe, uh, et cetera. So for the, all the democratic countries, uh, then we are talking about a major crisis and probably a bear market that could go on for maybe three years or so and decline by 50, 60, 80%. Uh, when that happens, uh, the systemic police will come in, you know, uh, and of course the government will step in and they will nationalize what needs to be nationalized because it's necessary for the system to operate. Uh, they will uh, uh, intervene, they will change regulations. So you will have a higher uh, share of the government in the, in the GDP. You have a nationalization of certain industries in certain countries. Uh, it's just a, a going to be a different ballgame uh, at that point of time. 
Uh, we have now increased uh, the government share in the US uh, from a few years ago in this crisis from the low 20% to the high 30%. In, in Europe, we are all already in the EU, we are already at 59% government share of GDP. That means 59% of all the euros that are spent in the economy come from the government. Uh, in Germany, it's 54%. In, in France, it's 64%. You know, China is at uh, 40% or 35%. And I have I've gone and traveled to China when it was at 100%. <laughs> they have come all the way down and we are going all the way up. So we are going into socialism deeper and deeper while they go to more uh, autocratic uh, capitalism. Uh, so it's it's two different systems, and and I think we are making major blunders here, and uh, and and of course it's the result of uh, misguided policy for the last uh, three decades, in my view. Wow, um, yeah, there's so much I want to dig into you <laughs> with you on that. Um, okay, uh, gosh, where 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 to start though? Um, I. I Ultimately, I want to get to, um, given that type of future outlook, you know, what should today's listeners be thinking about doing in terms of how do they actually, you know, preserve their wealth and, and kind of navigate all that change well? I, I have a sense it's going to be really hard in that type of period that you're talking about when there's just a, a tremendous amount of government overreach. And it's not like we don't have a lot of social issues brewing today, particularly with the wealth inequality. Uh, that the current system has been resulting in, um, and then now that inflation is is entering the picture, uh, it's you know hurting the lower classes even more because they're not benefiting as much from the asset price inflation, but they're getting really squeezed uh, by the the increase in cost of living. Um, so it feels like we kind of have a, a tinderbox here. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay, so what, what, what's important for investors in this uh, environment? It's it's becoming very cyclical because it's like the Fed, as you described, it's like a tank or moving very slowly and you cannot be very precise with your timing. And it's even worse because they are looking in the rare mirror because inflation is a lagging indicator, not the leading indicator. And it's, it's going to be the same with economic policy in general uh, in the future because uh, the government is very unexperienced in the capitalist system. They think they have to protect this group of people, that group of people, et cetera, et cetera. And they do not know what they are doing for the long term by focusing always on the short term. And, 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 and this means that markets will have large swings uh, like we have seen in the 1930s, uh, big swings up and down. So I could see markets declining uh, 80% and then go up several hundred percent. And, and I think you have to understand the macro picture very well and time it. And market timing is completely out of favor because the central banks have spoiled investors to the degree they, they could forget market timing for so many years because you could just buy any dip and you were right and they spoil, spoiled them. And when you look at current valuation levels and you compare it with the past, 
you end up over the next 10 years with a zero return in equities, US equities or global equities. But that zero return is achieved by being up 20, down 50, etc. You know, it goes up and down dramatically, much more than it used to in the past 20 years. All right. And, and at the beginning in the intro here, I mentioned that you really focus on market cycles. And it sounds like you're saying they're going to become much more important going forward, um, kind of because the suppression that the central banks have managed to have on them, it, it's kind of losing that, right? The That's genie's right. getting out of the bottle here yeah. and uh, market cycles are going to matter much more. And I guess, and correct me if this is wrong, but I, I, I'm guessing for what you're saying is, is the, the investor may actually have a little bit of an edge here because it can be more nimble than the authorities. And it can sort of see where the authorities are trying to move the tanker and kind of try to front run it, try to get out ahead of it, position ahead of it. I see you nodding as I'm saying this. If the investor understands the process at work, if he understands the uh, period we are in and going through and what that means for policy setters, et cetera, then you can time. Uh, in the past, you didn't time, and the passive investor was actually the hero. And, uh, and, and therefore, you have, among professional investors, you have virtually all the big market timers you have lost. Uh, they, uh, they are gone because there was no need for them. <laughs> you see? And this is interesting because several experts I've had on this program recently have echoed a similar sentiment, which is we're, we're now making the transition from a period where passive investing uh, has worked really well. And we're now entering a period where to succeed, you're really going to need to rely back on an active form of investing here. Um, and so, uh, you know, whoops, sorry, go ahead. A, a good example of that is uh, uh, ARC. Uh, the ARC funds. I think Kathy Wood is, um, is fantastic in her visions long-term, and she is probably right in all the industries she picks and how they could develop, but there are cycles in between. And if you cannot time those cycles, all of a sudden you find your funds in those industries and stocks down 50 or 60% or even more before they go up again. And it's not everybody's cake uh, to invest in such volatile items, you know, such volatile assets, uh, because the average investor doesn't like volatility. Uh, the traders like volatility, but the average investor like a smooth ride higher and a decent return. And they are happy with six to 10% every year. And that's not going to be the case. It's going to be very wild and very volatile. And, uh, and, and some of the old fashioned market timers will probably have a good time in the, in, in the, in the next 10 years. <laughs> well, uh, ho hopefully you're kind of making a, a good commercial here for after we're done talking, Felix, I'm going to bring on the, the folks from New Harbor Financial who join me for these programs every week where we sort of talk about what the market's done in the past week. But, um, you know, sort of restating what you said, like so many of today's investors and so many of today's professional investors as well have been, you know, lulled into complacency or, or, or really it's really no, through no fault of theirs. It's just that the winning strategy for so long has been to just hold long mm -hmm. and buy the dips, right? And yeah. you're basically saying, look, that's not going to work for all the reasons you just mentioned. And so we're going to basically have, the, you know, a, a, an embedded investing class with the wrong musculature 
for the type of future that's coming here. So one of the things that, that we talk to people about a lot is in, in, unless you want to really invest yourself in developing that musculature on your own, which being really honest, not, not everybody has the time, bandwidth, or interest to do, or, or sometimes even skill set. And so if you don't, you want to partner with an advisor uh, who does have that skill set and leverage their expertise here. Um, I'm seeing you nodding as I'm saying this, but I, I really want to beat this drum because um, to your point, I think there's a lot of people that are just going to like sort of sleepwalk into this new future and not realize that the rules have changed until they open their statement one day and see it's down <laughs> much more than they could have imagined. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. You uh, you uh, said it uh, very well, better than I could. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I highly doubt that. All right, um, one more question about the uh, kind of the macro where the macro puck is headed, and then we'll get to you know sort of specific sectors that you think will fare well or poorly during the future progression you see. Um, but so you you, you mentioned that um, uh, if things go the way that you expect. Uh, Somewhere this summer, uh, we're going to have a, a Fed policy reversal, and it may be triggered by a 20% plus correction in the market where the Fed has decided, hey, you know what, inflation's down enough that we don't want the market to fall any further than it has. So it reverses policy, and we go off to the races. And it sounds like, you know, looking through your crystal ball, which everybody knows no one has a perfect one, you see that next sort of bullish wave kind of being the last one of this 2000, this bull market since 2009, but lasting all the way through 2024. Why do you think it can last that long? Um, well, first of all, I think we had a big correction. Uh, second, I think we have uh, squeezed out uh, some of the mini cycle excesses in the system. Uh, so there are not that many excesses. Inventories are extremely low and all the corporations I know would like to have uh, higher inventories and they are trying to restock and can't get the, the products uh, as much as they would like to. Uh, so I think this is a supporting element. Uh, then I think uh, the money supplied to the system will have its effect. Uh, it will probably do more to inflation in that next rise than it does to GDP growth or real GDP growth. Right. And, so, so, sorry and, to interrupt, but so it's almost more a stagflationary future you it, see, right? It, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think the economy will not break apart. They will, it will continue to grow, but at a very slow level because we have uh, structural headwinds, uh, high uh, excessive debt levels, we have uh, demographics uh, that are negative and working against us or slowing down dramatically. The U.S. has the best demographics, but uh, last year the population grew, what, 0.1% uh, uh, or something like that only, which is yeah, the, lowest, one of the, the lowest, lowest on record. The lowest on record. And the trend is really going down. Uh, you know, China, nobody understands that, but China, which is 1.4 billion people uh, at present, they will be only 750 million by the end of this century. That's a dramatic decline. And nobody speaks about that. Uh, if uh, the forecasts on the US are correct, the US will be from currently 330 million up to 450 million. So the gap between China and the US is, is going to narrow dramatically. Uh, and, and Europe will be much lower in terms of population, etc. You cannot grow when you have declining population. 
or virtually no population growth. And the OECD plus China, plus Brazil, plus Russia, when you look all, all that together, you know, we have added uh, since the early 50s to the early 90s, we have added uh, 25 to 30 million people every year. We are now negative. We are now negative. So that means with the negative growth, you cannot create the three to 4% growth on a sustainable basis. You can have it for a year and then it slows down again. As long as you uh, get your government to spend money and, and increase the expenditures, you can get those rates of growth. But without that, you cannot. And, and then you have the situation that for every uh, new dollar of debt, you only get out uh, 20 cents uh, growth, GDP growth. So that has all changed. And therefore the secular framework is one that is very concerning and we need to restructure our system. And uh, I do not know how they are doing it. Uh, usually you had uh, currency reforms when that happens. Uh, when you hit the wall, you have currency reforms at that. That could come. I do not think that any nation will enter a currency reform by its free will. It will only do so if it's bust and cannot pay its debt anymore. And several countries will hit the wall uh, in this decade, I, I guess. Uh, so there is a lot of turmoil ahead in uh, the world economy and in the financial markets, because it's very it's going to be ever more difficult for our governments and central banks to manage the situation as it is presented to them. That, that's the situation I see. It's not the end of the world. The world will continue, but we have to Re restart uh, the system. And the restart uh, usually means a lot of losses for a lot of people. And, uh, and, and you just have to take care that you do not belong to them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. So I've had uh, Neil Howe on this program in the past. He's the demographer that co-wrote the book, The Fourth Turning. Right? And, and what you're sort of describing here uh, on a global economic scale really feels like a fourth turning and it fits in with his projected timeline. And one of the things that he says is in a fourth turning, you, it's defined by a lot more centralized control. You have these big mm -hmm. crises that the government you know, really sort of steps in to, to have to address because it's sort of an existential threat. And oftentimes the populace is, is begging for that centralized control. Um, and who knows, we'll see what happens. But, but going forward, if we have a 50 to 80% market crash and a generational recession, I think we can be pretty sure that the populace is gonna be demanding that its leaders do something to make things better here, right? Definitely. So um, just, just tell me a little bit more about what you see coming out of that. So I guess first question is, is will the age of bubbles be over at least for a prolonged period of time? Because it used to take societies, you would see maybe one asset bubble a generation or every several generations because it's still stuck in the mind of the populace that went through it and they, they really tried to prevent it. You can think about Weimar Germany or you know, even the 1929 depression on the other end of the scale. Um, but we've now had three major asset bubbles you know, in the past 20-ish years or so, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, will, the, will the Fed and the central banks be able to, to continue that game after this next big bust or will this big bust really puncture their ability to do that? 
or maybe I maybe think, society's appetite for yeah i I, I think i think the next uh, big when the bubble breaks the next time in the mid 20s uh i think it's a new ball game uh i do not believe that you can just repeat what they have done before because so many parts of the system uh are in breaking mode and uh, and and they have to intervene on all sides and therefore they cannot recreate the bubble i think uh, you know the dollar we haven't talked about the currencies the dollar of course will decline uh, sharply in 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 those years and uh, and and it's questionable whether the dollar can fulfill its role as the major currency in the world i think the chinese are preparing for what i describe as a major crisis point and uh, they want to restructure their economy before to be in a strong position to take advantage of the situation when the others are weak and i think they are trying to de-dollarize asia and introduce the yuan per perhaps a gold-backed yuan in asia as a counterpart to the us dollar they won't do it for the whole world because it's too large an effort they cannot do that but they can do it for asia and and that creates further turmoils in the currency markets what does that mean and what does where does the euro go and all that and and i do not know the answer to everything that will happen at that point of time i just think you need to have the mindset to be prepared for extraordinary things happening that we have never seen in a generation over the next 10 years and prepare for that and have some guidance uh, for people who are experienced or who you read the books about those uh, previous times. It won't be exactly the same because it's a different world, but there are rhymes of the past and and i would i would think that the 24 could be the equivalent of the 29 although the fundamentals are completely different you know in 29 the government share of uh, gdp was three percent and it was free markets and it was a gold-backed currency system very rigid we have a completely different world today we have a government share that is much higher. We have a fiat uh, currency system. Um, uh, we have a lot they, more national debt. <laughs> so, and a lot more national debt. And you can stretch further. And, and that's what we are doing. We stretch further and further because we do not have a gold-backed rigid system. But there is, there is a final point also. There is a terminal point, And the markets will tell you when the terminal point comes. It's not the authorities, it's the markets that dictate. So it's the people in motion, the crowd that decides this is enough, I don't like it anymore. And then you have the deleveraging of the system that runs through and the governments have to take care of it that the system doesn't break apart. Okay, all right. Um, Felix, I know the it's, challenge, it's, it's, uh, it's, I knew this was gonna a be the challenge. Stuff. <laughs> I've got so many questions that we're never going to get a chance to get to in here. So I'm obviously going to have to be back on the program as this projected trajectory you have here unfolds. Um, all right. So as I said earlier, we have a lot of people watching this program because they're trying to become more informed investors and they have some concerns about the future. I think you've just poured 
jet fuel on a lot of them. Um, and uh, they're trying to figure out, okay, how do I be a good steward of my wealth through what's coming here? Um, let's hold aside for a moment what happens after 2024, because that's a year and a half away, and we're going to have you back on long before then to give us updates on what you think is going to happen. So looking here right now, at least, at, let, let's look at maybe the next six to uh, 18 months here. So the next half year to, to year and a half, um, we've got a projected you know, potential 20% plus market correction. And then we have uh, more inflation coming back and asset prices having one last, you know, year plus run ahead. So what are the assets that you're looking at most closely right now uh, that you think will do well, both in the, the six month sort of decline and then the, the boom after that? Okay, I, I think I'm not a gold bug. Our interview with Felix continues over in part two which will be released tomorrow as soon as we're through editing it. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below as well as the little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to click the like button too while you're at it. And if this discussion about such massive cyclical volatility ahead in the financial markets has you feeling a little unprepared, then consider scheduling a free, no-strings-attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your portfolio, keeping in mind the risks and opportunities Felix has highlighted here. Just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you next in part two of our video interview with Felix Zuloff.